Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Fiona Palmer is a natural-born storyteller who chanced into writing because she wanted to create something that she'd like to read, never thinking it might get published. Nearly 20 books later, she's one of Australia's most popular rural fiction authors. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler, and in today's episode, Fiona talks about her typical year, combining writing with farming and a family heritage that taught her there's no such thing as failure, just more practice. You'll find links to Fiona's books and website in the show notes on thejoysofbingereading.com. Visit there to subscribe to the podcast and to leave your comments. We love to hear from you and we endeavour to get back to everybody who communicates with us. But now, here's Fiona. Hello there, Fiona, and welcome to the show. Tell us, how did you get into writing? And was there some moment when you thought, I've just got to do this? Um, Well, I can honestly say being an author never, ever entered my mind. I mean, I was terrible at school. English was probably one of my worst subjects. And, you know, I remember being in year 11, I loved the creativity side of English. Like I can remember for a test we had to write a story off a picture and I loved that. And I, I remember writing this, you know, story. My friend said, oh, it's amazing. But uh, when it came time to marking, of course, I nearly failed because of my spelling and grammar and everything like that. I was never marked on the storytelling ability, you know, side of English anyway. So for that reason alone, storytelling, writing books was never on my radar. And I actually happened into writing by chance. So how did that happen? I mean, we just mentioned before you came on air that the the little town that you live in is tiny. It's Tell us a little bit about where you're speaking actually from so people can get a bit of a picture of what your childhood might have been like. Well, I was born and raised in Pingaring. It's a tiny, tiny little town about three and a half hours southeast from Perth. And so there's four houses in the town. One belongs to my parents and the other's ours. So you can almost say we own half the town. And I have a big history here. My, my nanny used to run the shop once. My granddad had the mechanic shop once. So sort of, yeah, born and raised here. And so I did primary school here and then went away to boarding school for year, uh, year eight. And our primary school shut down in 1998. So our town shrunk from then on. We might be lucky to say there's 30 in the district. So our little one street with our four houses and a shop. We do have a hall that gets used once a year um, and a tiny, tiny CWA uh, that doesn't get used anymore. But the surrounding area is all farmland. So if I step out my back door, there's a paddock and we have these great big wheat bins across the road. So at harvest, all the grain goes there. So predominantly sheep and cropping. So you mainly wheat and barley, some canola and some lupins and bits and pieces. So I grew up in a you know small country town and my uncle had a farm out the road and spent every weekend there. So I was very much um, 
born and raised a country farm kid, I suppose you could say. Went away to boarding school, got to year 11, and I just knew school wasn't for me. I wanted to come home and be hands-on, very much an outside person. And so I left school after year 11. I came back and I did all sorts of jobs, rousing, uh, working on the crutching cradle, driving tractors, worked for a company called um, CBH, and from there I ended up in the office and enjoyed it like I as one job I knew I didn't want to do was be stuck in an office you know I'm an outside person but here I was in the office and I was quite good at it so then I went away to college in Perth and I did secretarial skills learnt touch type so you know who knew that would come in handy later on and then from college I came back and worked as a CEO secretary at the Shire for three years got sick of the rate complaints and thought oh there's got to be a better job than this so then I went and worked as a teacher's aide and I did my Cert 3 through TAFE and did my study at home, which was great. I really enjoyed that. And then I got married and pregnant, stayed home for a year, and then a year after that I got a bit sick of sitting around watching daytime soap. I'm busy, busy, like to stay busy, I suppose. So my mum and I went into a partnership and we took on the local general store and um, I managed the liquor licence and the bookwork and together you were very busy and at this point I had a toddler and a newborn baby and life couldn't get any more busier but that's when I started creating a story and I never set out to write a book my point at this time was just I was so busy I had no time to read a book so I started creating one in my mind while I was you know cleaning or doing all my jobs and it got to the point that this story I created, <clears throat> which encompassed everything I love about living in the country, which, you know, this story then became The Family Farm, which was my first book. And so really I was just going off of my inspiration and my desires and just how much I love, you know, the country and the characters and the things we go through and how Mother Nature has a control on how the farms, you know, work and prosper and I was trying to just put all that into a story. And at first I was imagining it as a movie in my mind and then my head just felt like it was going to explode. So then I started typing it out. I opened up Word and I just started from Chapter 1 and just kept writing. And three years later I ended up finishing that story. So The Family Farm, that was the first of what now has become, I think you've written a dozen rural fiction books now, haven't you? Is it, is it 12? Eight rural books and then I moved on to like Life Lit. So and then I've done four of those and also have four YA books. So about 16 all up. Great. Wonderful. We'll talk about those as we go along. But that Family Farm book, it sounds like it was almost the book that you wanted to read yourself. Was that, would that be fair to say? Yeah, most definitely. I think I wrote what I wanted to read and it wasn't until friends and family read it said, oh, this book is great. You should try and get it published. And it had never crossed my mind. And I thought, oh, okay. So I got on Google and typed in how to publish a book and the Australian Society of Authors came up and they're on their website they were promoting a little competition they had, which is if you entered your first three chapters, they judged it and if they thought it had merit, you won a spot with a published author for 23 hours of mentoring. And I was very lucky I won, a, won one of those spots. I think about 200 entered. You know, they said I had a really engaging voice 
I like to tell people I didn't write because I like words. I, I, I wrote because I wanted to tell stories. And sort of, you know, I think there's quite a few storytellers out in the country. But that's sort of how I ended up into it. And so those 20 free hours were great because I got to work with a published author and she told me how to set out my manuscript because I had no idea. You know, I just opened Word and started typing. So I did all those changes, double spacing and, you know, paragraphing. And at that point, my auntie called me up and said, I've just read this book and it is so much like yours. I'll send it down. And it was Rachel Treasure's Jillaroo. And I read that and I loved it. Like here was a rural book, you know, I could relate to it. And it's it just what I'd written, but just, uh, I guess, a slightly different rural area. And I saw that she was published by Penguin. And, you know, in the acknowledgements, she thanked Ali Watts, the publisher. And I thought, oh, well, I'll give them a go. And, you know, every website you go to say, we do not accept unsolicited manuscripts, et cetera, et cetera. But I ignored that and I wrote a letter and I sent the three, first three chapters off to them. And it was a few weeks later I had an email back from one of the um, office girls saying my manuscript had made its way to Ali Watson. Could I send the rest of it? And then a few weeks later, Ali emailed me herself saying she loved it and was just waiting to see what the publishing house thought. And a few more weeks later, I had an offer of contract. So I kind of just fell into being an author. It's amazing. That's fantastic. You, you probably benefited from the fact that there's been a huge blossoming in that rural fiction market in the last decade, hasn't there? Do you think it's partly because of the hard times that some of Australia's agriculture has been going through and it's kind of made everybody very much aware of the whole rural sector perhaps in a way that they weren't before or they just took it for granted before? I don't know. I like to think that, um, I mean, Rachel uh, Treasure was the first rural book I'd come across and I don't think there were very many, you know, they might have been dotted through time before but Rachel's really made an impact and, in 2009, my, The Family Farm came out, as well as Fleur MacDonald's Red Dust, I think it was, the first book of hers. And then each year after, the rural genre became a thing, or rural romance, and it just grew and grew. And I think that's because more people had access to these books and read it and went, yes, I can write this too. You know, the same as how it happened for me. You read a book that you loved and you went, well, this is what I'm writing, or this is what the life I live or what I enjoy to read so I'm going to write it and I think that just bread and bread and we had so many people you know there's a lot of people that live in small towns or sort of rural areas and they all yeah all started writing and and it became a genre and it just grew and got its own life. Yeah now you've mentioned that thing about being a storyteller part of the way that your publisher um, promotes your books is to describe you as one of Australia's best storytellers and you've developed a really big following in this area what do you think is is there anything that differs between somebody who's a storyteller and somebody who's a general author what are the things that make a storyteller stand out do you think I'm not sure my, my main focus when I write is on the characters and their journeys I I don't know I just try to write a page turner I try to write a book I'd like to read and that means it's going to be enjoyable, fast. I don't, I need to be able to pick it up, read it and put it away because I'm a busy person. So I, I tend to try and think I'm writing for the busy person. You know, you want to be able to pick up a book, 
Some people read it in a night, you know, lucky them. <laughs> it takes me maybe two days to get through a book, feeling happy and satisfied once I've, once I've finished that book and then, you know, get back on with life. Personally, I'm a bit like that. I don't tend to read a lot of uh, literary fiction because it, it takes too much mental focus and being such a busy person with so many jobs and things happening and kids, I just don't have that time to give some of those books. So I tend to read young adult or fantasy as a break, you know, fast paced and yeah, a lot of life lit books. Um, yeah. So um, the life lit would tiny white lies. That's your most recently published book. And we'll get on to talking about that now. Would you consider tiny white lies uh, the life lit category? Yeah, I think so. It's, it's more focused on the characters and their lives. And um, I saw a great quote someone had said a while ago. I can't, I can't remember. They'd reviewed the book and they said something about the way I describe characters. They could be anyone, you know, just any normal person and yet they were really invested in their, their life. And I tend to think that's what it is. This life lit is just sort of like a relatable story. And, of course, I've thrown in the rural coastal retreat, another way for me to describe some of the landscape and I love showcasing what we have in our own state or places I've been. People love to read about places where they've been. And so I guess, you know, being able to write gives me that platform. Yeah. Now, the, the tagline for that book, it is you use the word relatable and it certainly is relatable. It says, for three weeks... Two families escape the rat race in a remote coastal camp with no phone reception. The kids, I might add, are teenagers who are mad on social media. So um, I'm sure you've caught a lot of readers just with that one sentence because people immediately have a sense of what that sort of setting might entail, what that situation might entail. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and this book sort of came out of my own People always say, where do you get inspiration? My two teenage children inspired this book. You know, they went away to boarding school in year seven and had phones from an early age just so we could, you know, access them and chat to them. And so I felt like I was opening them up to the whole wide, scary world back then and just how life sort of morphed with technology. So this book sort of came about my own fears and every January we go to Bremer Bay a holiday about three weeks and I take the kids down there and it's the the one time I actually feel like I connect with my kids I get I feel like I get them back you know their devices aren't their most important things in their life down there we sit around the fire we chat we talk we sing we play board games and card games and we go full driving and surfing and stuff and you know they barely look at their phones and that to me is the most precious time of the year for me and so that's sort of why that all got morphed into the book as well. You also mentioned, I'm not going to have any spoilers because it's, it doesn't come out until halfway through the book, but there's a health scare that is common for many women that one of your characters has to face. And so you're covering a lot of emotional issues that people have to face up to in real life. One of the characters that's revealed very early on her husband's committed suicide and that's that's part of the story right at the beginning so I'm not giving anything away but mm. they are dealing with very big issues as well and so you cover a lot of things apart from romance don't you? Definitely people have always you know pegged us sort of in the romance 
genre, but even my rural stories, we're always tackling hard issues, you know, rural depression and suicide. You know, there's been so many in-depth topics. They're not just sort of light and fluffy. I mean, I love a romantic thread. All my books, I try to put a romantic thread in them because it's just one of those things I love to read and I love writing. But I also love writing about everyday hardships that people have to endure, you know, whether it is from, you know, losing your husband to suicide or anxiety and depression and, you know, cancers and health problems. You know, it's all things we deal with day in, day out, whether it's ourselves, family members, loved ones. So, you know, they just work their way naturally into my storylines. Yeah. And then the book before Tiny White Lies, Matters of the Heart, I must say I loved that book because it's got a really terrific premise. You reimagine Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, in the Australian Wheatland, and you have Charles Bingley and Darcy riding, well, not quite, but pretty much driving combine harvesters. And I, I actually thought, the more I thought about it, what a fantastic movie it would make, slightly satirical movie, having Charles Bingley and Wickham and Darcy all in the middle of an Australian wheat field. Have you had a good response to that book? Definitely. I mean, you know, you're always scared of what the Jane Austen fans will think, but, I mean, I just went on how how much I wanted to write this story because for, for years and years I've thought about writing this because I could imagine Jane, you know, this Pride and Prejudice book set in the country because in my mind it worked perfectly. We grew up with cabarets, you know, dances and, and all these things and you've got the poor farmer and you've got the rich farmer and it just... It would gel so well and I had an absolute ball writing this and I think it would be amazing on the big screen. <laughs> yeah, you have to get some, somebody like um, Chris Hemsworth or one of those to play it, don't you? <laughs> yes, I oh, know. Yeah, how to get how to get interested, that would yeah. be good. <laughs> <laughs> Lizzie in Matters of the Heart, she's a terrific character and she's fighting to save the family farm. It sounds like this is quite a theme of your work because I gathered the first book, The Family Farm, the woman was, the, the, the young woman in that was fighting to save the family farm. And there's lots of agricultural details in it, which don't, doesn't make it at all boring. In fact, it just really feeds it down in the world that, that they inhabit. But it's something obviously you know a lot about. There's quite a lot of information about farming that I found fascinating. Did you have to do a lot of research for that? I'm living and breathing farming, you know, born and raised up on a farm. And I, I like to think I'm one of the most authentic rural writers out there because, you know, I'm still living and breathing it. Even now I work as a farmhand. So most mornings I'm off at the farm we're, you know, we're welding, we're, I'm driving tractors and loaders and trucks and headers. Absolutely love my life on the farm. And yeah, it's so easy to slip that into my stories because it's what I do every day. Yeah. That's amazing. So when do you find the time to write? Do you, do you program it into your day somewhere? Yeah, it um, gets programmed around farming quite funnily. So I have... Seeding and harvest, which I give 100% to my bosses. So seeding will, I mean, mainly because there's nothing else. You know, you're doing 12 to 14-hour days, seven days a week just to get the crop in and the same at harvest to get it off. So I, I don't have time to 
do any book work. I save up all my Audible books and listen to them while I'm on the tractor and the header and, you know, probably think about my next stories. But then after seeding's done, that's when I write my next book. So I have one book a year. And so that's where I'm at now. I've just finished next year's book, uh, the first draft, and I'll do an edit and try and get that sent off before harvest starts. And then once harvest is over, then I start the editing process and start thinking about the next book. So it sort of merges really well. And I try to write 2,000 words a day, 10,000 words a week. And I often still go out to the farm a couple of days a week. I find that I can work all day at the farm, come home and write 2,000 words after dinner at night. So I think the busier I am, the better I write. And yeah, I know it's a bit of a juggle. I mean, I've got to throw in there when the book comes out. So there's driving to Perth for events and meetings. So I'm very lucky I've got a flexible boss who quite happy for me to take time off to do my book stuff and you know then I've got to take time off to do kids stuff kids need picking up dropping off uh, all those things so life gets pretty busy <laughs> and and as well as this work we've been talking about you've you've developed into another area entirely of young adult or nude adult fiction with a crossover series about sexy spies and a super secret agency and the work they do saving the world. Now, where did that come from? That, I mean, I've always read young adults, you know, the Vampire Academy and, you know, the Throne of Glass. There's all sorts of stories I love reading, fast-paced, and, you know, they always say, write what you love to read. So it's not that big a step for me, but I had a friend who had this amazing life and I just wanted, I wanted him to tell his story, but he's too busy. So I wrote this series based sort of on his journey and he helped me a lot with all the technical details, you know, with relating to the drugs and how things work and the secret agency. And, and I'm off this whole story of jazz and, you know, I love strong female leads. So I just, writing jazz was a dream, you know, having this young girl who could do karate and, you know, she was just so smart and it just worked her being recruited into this agency anyway it was a lot of fun and it's not just for young readers it's actually my mum's favorite books of mine it's she just reads them over and over again that's really fun that's wonderful and it leads very nicely onto the next little section where we like to talk about your slightly wider life your your admiration for these uh, spunky females you, there's one fascinating detail on your online biography that you say that you're a third, you were a third generation speedway driver driving from the age of 16. Tell us about that passion. Well, I grew up, my granddad was a speedway driver, my dad's a speedway driver. And, you know, I was in a, we had a go kart and I was in that at the age of three and in cars the moment I could reach the pedal. You know, I used to spend as a 14-year-old practising reverse spins and donuts. So uh, cars, cars, <laughs> anything with a steering wheel has been my life. I love it. And at the age of 16, I got into Speedway and raced right up until I was pregnant. Um, and then when my two kids, they've just, you know, about three years ago, both started racing Speedway and my dad did, was still racing and, yeah, I've just got back into it. Absolutely love it. We, it's a big family thing for us. My dad, myself and my kids and my husband, he's the chief pit crew and we all go racing and we absolutely love it. It's fantastic. Look, 
Turning to more a career sort of question, is there one thing you think you've done more than any other that's helped you make a go of it as a writer? What would you consider to be, quotes the secret of your success? I, I think that's my upbringing. You know, I, I don't have a lot of confidence, but then again, I have the ability to give things a go. I was always raised to have a go. You know, from a young age, I was, you know, they'd say, get in, hop in the truck and have a go or do this and do that. And I learned pretty early on that some of the most scariest things to attempt can be the most rewarding. So I tend to push past those fears. And the same with writing this book and sending it off. It's like, well, what have I got to lose? You know, you can't lose when you're having a go. So my motto is to have a go at anything. There's no such thing as failure. There's only practice. It's the same on the farm. You know, I've learnt to weld. I've learnt to use so many power tools and absolutely love it. I found a new passion there. So having a go is paramount. Look, that's fabulous. Look, we are starting to come to it, the end of our time together. So turning to the aspect of binge reading, the joys of binge reading is the name of this podcast. And we always like to check in with authors to see what books they like to read, if there's a series or something that they really find almost addictive in terms of their reading. Have you got any authors that you can mention that you binge read or that you find quite addictive and you want to read everything they've written? Definitely. I stumbled across Sarah J Mass's books and her Throne a Glass series was just to die for. We, I totally powered through that whole series and it worked its way through my whole family. We all ended up a bit addicted. So I highly recommend, if you don't mind a bit of fantasy with you know, some romance, I absolutely loved her books. It's fantastic. So circling around Looking back over the years now, at this stage, if you were doing it all again, is there anything that you'd change? I don't think so because I think my life's experience was just building me up to this point in my life of being an author. You know, everything I experienced, the different jobs I did, learning to touch type at college, I think it all played a special part into, you know, where I've ended up. Yeah, you must have had very definite natural talent to, to have had such an amazing kind of entree without having years and years of having to submit manuscripts and things. It says a lot for your natural um, talent there somehow. Yeah, it's people say, have you had any study and, you know, did you go to uni? And I'm like, no, I said, I've, I've read books and I've watched movies and I, it just organically happens. Like, I can't tell people how I write a book, like I start at chapter one and, and I just naturally end where it, the book needs to end with the right word count and, yeah, it just uh, works out well somehow. <laughs> Fantastic. So what is next for Fiona, the writer, in terms of the next 12 months? Whereabouts are you in the cycle with the farm at the moment? I'm not quite sure of the seasons for harvesting. The harvesting's coming up, is it? It is, yeah, about mid-October. So I'm in the process of finishing my finish my first draft and I want to ha- give it a read-through. The Stolen Memories calling it for the moment and then I'll send that off to my publisher um, and she'll read through and then I'll probably have some structural edits uh, right before harvest, which I'll try and get them done. And then, yeah, swing into harvest. And then in January, I'll probably have the book back for some more edits uh, through January through to February will be sort of edits between work. And have you got any idea what you'll be starting on after that? 
I do. We've got a trip in April next year up to way up north. We're going up past Karajini and we're actually heading to Karatha because it's the state title for juniors and my son's going to race in that. So we're going to stop at Karajini on our way, which if no one knows what Karajini is, look it up. It's absolutely magnificent. Um, so that's something special uh, way up north in our state. We're going to check out and I'm going to set my next book there. So Fantastic. I guess it's a bit harder to tour with books at the moment, but I'm not sure how much the pandemic might be affecting you in Western Australia, but you've mentioned that you do like to go to Perth and do some book meetings. You obviously do enjoy having the chance to meet your readers. Tell us about meeting your readers and where they can find you online. Definitely. I mean, being way out in the middle of nowhere, I don't, you know, it's quite a trick. But I'm used to being in a car and that's why being online is quite important out here. I can access all my readers through social media, um, very active on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. But I still love getting to, I'd say, the city, but also regional areas for talks. WA, we're very lucky. I've had some an amazing events all through WA because, you know, we're a bit okay over here. But so everything sort of feels almost as normal back here. But I've, I've missed out on um, doing some trips over east and doing some events over there, which normally you'd fit in. But I've learned some new things, doing a few Zoom meetings and bits and pieces. So that's that's been, yeah, great. It's fabulous. And just for people listening, we will put links to all of your social media, et cetera, in the, in the show notes for this that we publish as a blog post with the audio. So people will be able to find those links online in the, in the show notes. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thanks, Jenny. How far are you with the jazz series? Is there another one of those books in the offing somewhere? Yeah, way back then I did think about writing another one and having spin-off series, but all my focus is kind of on my mainstream books and farming at the moment. So until that's sort of the way I, if it took off and just went crazy, then, yeah, I'd probably go back and write some more on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, it's been wonderful having a chance to talk, Fiona. Thank you so much for being with us today. And I think what you've achieved is is totally remarkable. Thank you, Jenny. Thanks for a great interview. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone, as a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. 
I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.